be a good time if you have a Bible to open it, look for Ezekiel chapter 37. And when I, when I heard that Rob's family was going to be away this week, that I would be preaching, and I was given the opportunity to preach from anywhere in the Bible, you know, that, that's the task. And so it's like, well, what do you choose? So I have two ways I usually choose. One, if God is putting something on my heart, it's for that moment, and that's what to preach. The second is I have some criteria. So the first criteria is I pick a passage I like. So the passage we're going to read is a vision, and it's a vision I remember as a boy seeing in a children's Bible. So there's not a lot I remember from the children's Bible, but I remember this picture of dry bones becoming alive again, and I remember uh, David cutting off Goliath's head, and those two, two images. And so it was something that captivated me. I thought about it, something I like. Another thing is I choose something that I haven't, maybe I don't remember hearing preached before. Just because of my upbringing, gospel was preached, but not verse by verse through every book of the Bible. So this passage is one I haven't heard, maybe, and I think maybe someone else might not have heard. And then third, I choose something that has something interesting that I want to dig into and study. So that's how we end up in Ezekiel 37. Let's read it. The hand of the Lord was upon me, And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. And then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us and that you reveal yourself to us through it. Please open our eyes as we look at your word so that we will see you, and in seeing you that we would know you, and in knowing you that we would love you. 
Your word is living and active, and we pray that it would do its work now amongst your people as we draw near to hear it. God, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. So Ezekiel is a prophet and he's prophesying to the people of Israel. And he's one of the major prophets. He's, um, he's one of the prophets, not one of the prophets during the time of the kings that were talking to kings and be hiding from kings, rebuking kings. But after the people were taken into exile, he was a prophet and he was speaking to these people who are now in a different place, in a different location. And verse one gives us the setting for what's going on in this vision that we just read. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. And so the hand of the Lord is upon me is language he's using to say that the spirit of God has come upon him. The spirit of God is given him something to see, to hear, in order to say it or to write it for us. So you'll remember Peter tells us that no prophecy uh, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Ezekiel here is in one of those moments where he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit. He's being given a vision so that he can write down the word of God. He's receiving it so he can record it for our good. So Ezekiel continues and says, And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley. It was full of bones. So this setting is a strange one. Uh, Kids, if you're taking notes, if you have a pen and a paper, this would be a good one to draw not just to, to take notes, and draw, but we have a visual happening here. We have this man, Ezekiel, being taken to a valley. But it's strange because it's not just like a pretty valley. Hills on either side, grass and flowers. This valley is filled with bones, human bones. So I tried to find a picture of this because I remembered from my childhood a picture and it was captivating and I couldn't find a good one. All of them were good in that they were accurate, but they were all kind of gross, like half-formed bodies coming back together. So instead, I found a picture from the Lion King of an elephant graveyard. And it's not exactly the same thing, but it gives you an idea of what's going on. There's this place and there's bones, but instead of elephant bones, they're human bones, and there's lots of them. Uh, This gives us a reminder of death. Verse 2 tells us, He led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. So this valley is filled with these bones. And more than that, it tells us they had been there a long time because Ezekiel observes, and behold, they were very dry. So the sun had done its work. It had dried out whatever flesh was on them, whatever ligaments might have connected bone to bone, whatever marrow might have been inside of them. All of that has dried out. Whatever terrible event might have taken place in that valley would have taken place a long time ago. And then there's something disturbing that we see, and it's that these bones, they're just left on the ground. They're not buried, they're left there. When people die, their, their bodies are either put in a tomb or they're buried. If even a criminal who was killed for breaking the law would have had their body taken down at sunset, and buried. It was only enemies that would leave bodies on the ground for the birds and the animals to peck at and to eat. So that's our setting. Ezekiel is brought out by the Spirit of the Lord to a valley that's filled with these old dry bones. And what we'll see in this passage as it unfolds today, and the big idea today, is that there is always 
hope with God. And there is always a point to obeying God's command, and there is always a fulfillment to God's promises. Put another way, because God is all-powerful, all good and faithful always, we can trust him in all circumstances, even when it doesn't seem to make sense to us. So this is going to be a message about faith and about walking by faith and not by sight. So first, let's see that there is always hope with God. Ezekiel finds himself in quite a situation of despair. He is standing in a waste field where everything is long dead, And then God asks him a very difficult question in verse 3. He asks, Son of man, can these bones live? That's a tough question. Military medics who are on the field, they need to do triage. If there's a battle and people are hurt, they need to know, figure out who needs help and who needs help first. And as they do triage, they need to figure out who needs someone to put pressure and help them off the battlefield where they can be treated, who needs a stretcher to be carried to get an operation, and who doesn't need any medical intervention, who needs, um, who needs the clergy to be called, the chaplain, in order to be with this person as they die. Ezekiel's looking out at a field, and it's not even that chaplain situation. These aren't recently dead people. They aren't dying people. These are long dead bones no longer connected to each other, and it is into this situation that God asks them, can these bones live? And now, earlier I said, kids, I want, if, you're, if you have a pen, this is a neat thing to do. Now I want to address the adults in the, that are listening. Kids, you're better at using your imagination, drawing pictures. Adults are better at assessing situations. Adults have been in the world a long time and they have gained some experience because of that. So they have experience. So they could look at two people, two young adults who meet for the first time on a Sunday morning, and they say, just watch. Within a month, they'll be sitting next to each other and sharing a Bible. They can make predictions like that, or they make predictions about politics or all kinds of other things. Adults are prognosticators. They're predictors because they've seen events play out in the past, and they know how things kind of go, how things usually go. And that is wisdom. That gives them wisdom. They're wise. Adults are good for advice often. But something that's not good for is when confronted with situations that normally don't work out. That could be paralyzing. You could, th- you could feel hopeless when you're used to seeing every time that happens, it doesn't work out well. So just to give some examples, situations like not having money to get enough uh, food, let alone pay their other bills or receiving a terminal medical diagnosis, or looking out at a godless city, or seeing your child stray from the Lord, or losing beloved friends and family to death, or seeing any hope of redemption in your enemies, or not, make, not feeling like you can make it one more day. God is talking to an adult man who's used to how things normally go. And to this adult man in the midst of a hopeless situation, he says, son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the answer of faith by saying, oh Lord God, you know. And that might not sound like much of an answer, but it's acknowledging that what looks impossible to me from my vantage point is possible with God. 
So one commentator summarized it like this. He said, Ezekiel had no hope in the bones, but he did have hope in God. Ezekiel did not presume to know what God wanted to do with the bones, but Ezekiel was confident that God did know. You see, Ezekiel didn't have the answer, but he had God, and he knew God had the answer. And that's faith. When we're tempted to despair or to hopelessness, we are not to forget that what is impossible with man is possible with God. We don't know that he will do something a certain way in a certain situation, but we know he can. And we know from scripture too, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, if you remember that from Daniel, they were arrested and they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they would not bow down to an idol and worship it. And they were given one last chance to recant. And this last opportunity, they responded and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, if this be so, if we're thrown into this furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if God doesn't choose to work that way, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So the same answer these young Jewish men gave is the same answer of Ezekiel. You know, O Lord, what you're gonna do in this situation. You know how you can come through and you can rescue us, or you know how you will be glorified in this situation, even if we don't see it right now. So looking at those list of situations that we went through before, we know from experience that God can and has come through in those situations from our personal experience, from the experience of brothers and sisters in the church, and also because in the Bible, God has shown us that he is a God who comes through in those types of situations. So thinking about not having enough money to get food, let alone pay the bills. Elisha was a widow and her sons were gonna be taken. I'm not sorry, not Elisha. The widow came to Elisha and her, because they were gonna take her sons because they couldn't pay the debts. And Elisha performed a miracle. She had oil and poured it into jars and sold that oil and had enough. God came through for her. But what about receiving a terminal medical diagnosis? God heals terminal disease all the time in the Bible. Just one example from Luke we've been going through. In Luke 17, we have lepers. And leprosy would have been a diagnosis that would have been, this is what my life's gonna be until it ends. I'm gonna be separated from family and alone. And Jesus heals them. What about looking out at a godless city? Well, we can remember Jonah. And we can remember sinful uh, Nineveh. And when Jonah reluctantly preached the gospel to them or got it right, they repented and turned around. What about seeing our child stray from the Lord? Well, in Luke 15, we get this image of God and the prodigal son of waiting, and we know we can do that. We can wait, and we can um, pray for someone, and we see this prodigal son returning. What about losing people to death that we love? Well, in John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus to life. And more than that, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, if you die, yet shall you live. Jesus is telling us there is hope in a future resurrection. What about not seeing hope of redemption in your enemies? Saul was the persecutor of the church. And in Acts 9, Ananias 
um, who would have been probably been hiding from Saul, is told while he's praying, go find the man Saul in that street called Straight and go pray for that man. And he obeys. What about not making, feeling like you can make it one more day? Well, one example would be Hagar and Ishmael. And when she came to the end, she positioned Ishmael far away so that as they both died, they wouldn't hear each other. And then the angel appeared and saved them. You see, faith in God is believing that he can come through in all these situations. Even if our experience tells us that type of situation usually works out this way, well, not always with God. We believe in God who holds all things, ordains all things, and in him there is always a reason for hope. So that's point one. We saw there's always hope with God. Next we'll see there's always a point to obeying God's commands. Ezekiel's faith was in God, but then God asked Ezekiel not just to believe, but he had to act in faith. He had to do something. He didn't have to just believe God can do anything. He needed to act in a way that would have seemed silly or absurd if, it, if, if he didn't know God was going to work through it. So verses 4 to 6, God's given Ezekiel instructions. It says, He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So God gives Ezekiel a speech to give to these the bones. Remember, he's standing in this valley, dry bones everywhere. Um, you probably haven't had to do this. You probably haven't been taken by the Spirit in a vision to a valley and told to give a speech to a bunch of dry bones. Trying to, I, I try to think about what that must be like. What it would be like to be Ezekiel in that moment? What's going through his mind? Oh, God can do anything, but me saying magic words? I don't know if he needs that. God can do it without me. That just seems silly and pointless for me to stand up and do I have to be loud and give a loud speech? What good even are my words? If God wants to save these dry bones, I know he can do it on his own. He doesn't need me to do that. So church, when we put our faith in God, when we believe that what God has revealed to us is true, we also need to obey what he commands us to do. So the first steps of obeying God in faith might seem silly. They might seem awkward, they might seem pointless, they might not make sense, but we can know that God does not instruct us without a purpose. And then when we obey God in faith, when we walk by faith and not by sight, we can trust that God will work, be at work in us and through us. So church, you might not need to speak to a valley full of dead bones, but you might need to speak to a family member about Jesus and their need for him. You might need to take a step of obedience and pursue God in a way you haven't been already, like seeking him in his word every day, or praying without ceasing, or not neglecting the fellowship of believers. You might need to stop certain activities that you know are wrong, because you know God tells you not to. You might need to start treating others differently, caring for people you don't care about right now, showing love to people who are hard to love, You might need to confess sin and ask for forgiveness. Faith requires not just believing, but obeying. So if you believe that Jesus has saved you, then you need to obey him as your master as well. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're holding back from obeying him, 
not because you don't know what the right thing to do is, but because it seems silly or awkward or pointless or hard or you just don't feel like doing it, hear me, following Jesus requires that you obey his commands. So whatever that thing is, whether it's taking a next step and being baptized, telling someone about Jesus, stopping a sin, whatever it is, if the Spirit of God is pulling on your heart and telling, convicting you that you need to start that or stop that or you need to follow Jesus by obeying him, do that today. And you'll see that when we follow God in faith, his purposes are good for us and for his glory. So God gives Ezekiel a command, and Ezekiel obeys it. Verse 7 says, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. So there's another principle here I'd like to tease out, that as we obey God in faith, he will work through our work. God works through our work as we follow him. Everything supernatural happening in this passage is happening because God is doing it. Ezekiel is not making it happen. Ezekiel is not the one who is saving anything here. God planned every detail, and before he even started, he said, this is what I'm gonna do. And then he instructs Ezekiel. But even when he instructs Ezekiel to do something and give a speech, he tells Ezekiel exactly the words to say. And then God is the one that actually causes causes the miracle to happen. Everything we see supernatural happening here is being done by God. But God doesn't choose just to say, hey, Ezekiel, check out what I can do. Watch this. He works through Ezekiel preaching. So this is something that we're somewhat familiar with. God, by his power, could save everyone he wants to save. All of his redeemed that Jesus died for, he could save by appearing to them in visions, dreams, appearing to them in person, just changing their minds supernaturally on his own. But he doesn't choose the work that way. He's commissioned his church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in all places till the end of the age. And he said beforehand, this is what he's going to work through. He's instructed his church to do it, and as his word is proclaimed, as people are baptized, as disciples are made, he works, and he does miracles until he returns. So in the same way, God, so we see this principle at work here with how we are, like Ezekiel, to proclaim a message. Uh, We're also familiar with this in another way, and that's with prayer. Prayer is something that God instructs his people to do. He instructs us to bring petitions to him and to pray for needs. But God is all-knowing. God doesn't need us to bring him information and say, hey, this person's sick and could use healing. But God instructs his people, he instructs us to pray to him, to talk to him, to bring needs to him. And then as we do that, God works through prayer. He heals, he saves, he changes circumstances. He doesn't need our prayers to do any of that, but that's how he has planned to work. He has commanded us to pray, and then when we obey him and when we do that, he works through that. God didn't need Ezekiel to say a word, but he instructs Ezekiel to prophesy, and he had a purpose in it, and Ezekiel obeyed him. And then, when Ezekiel obeyed God, God worked. 
they hear a rattling noise, and God starts recomposing those long dead bodies. The bones start coming back together again. And he brought the bones together. He added sinews and ligaments. He started adding flesh and skin. And God took the meager words of Ezekiel, and he did a miracle. But he wasn't done, for the passage continues and tells us, but there was no breath in them. Verse 9, And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. These bodies were recomposed, but they had no life in them. They needed the breath of God, the spirit of God, to give them life. So there's some wordplay going on here. The the Hebrew word ruah has multiple meanings. It can mean spirit, it can mean wind, it can mean breath. And based on the context, you translate it different ways. And it is all over these few verses and is being translated depending on the context. Um, What that word ruah also does is it calls us back to another passage When God created man in Genesis chapter 2, he created Adam from the dust. And then he did something else, a second step. We're told he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Man receives life from God breathing life into them. And then when man is recreated, we read about that earlier, being a new creation. When man is recreated, God breathes on him the spirit and gives him life, new life. Ezekiel here is told to prophesy, to pray to the breath, to the spirit, to the giver of life, and to ask that life and breath would be given to these corpses. And Ezekiel obeys, and breath comes into them, and the newly revived are standing there as an exceedingly great army. So I hope you're seeing the parallel between this vision and the mission of the church. Those who have been redeemed are to believe in God, and in believing, we are to walk by faith and not by sight and to obey his commands. Our lives are to be lived proclaiming or prophesying the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dead world, like dry bones, that need to hear it, that need life. We don't do this because we believe our words are magic or our arguments are great or we could convince anyone. We know that only God can save, but we also know that God works through our work when we obey him. And as he has told us to go and proclaim, we believe that as we go and we proclaim, God works through that. And we, we do two things, just like we see Ezekiel doing two things. We proclaim the word and we pray that God by his spirit would give new life. And we can be confident that by obeying God, by doing this mission until he comes again, it won't be pointless. This will be the means by which he receives glory and that he will perform miracles through it. So we've seen there is always hope with God and there is always a point to obeying God's instructions. Lastly, I would like us to see that there is always a fulfillment to what God promises. So in the first point, we talked about how God can do anything. On this last one, I would like to emphasize that while God God can do anything, he will do everything that he has promised. He can heal any sickness, but he will wipe away every tear from all of his people. 
on that day. God can save anyone. There is no one too far gone. Nineveh, Philadelphia, any city, any people, any person you can think of. He can save anyone, but we know he will preserve his people until the end. God can do anything, but he will keep every promise. And so I I didn't spend a lot of time talking about the context of this vision at the beginning. The context is that God had made some very big promises to the people of Israel in the prophecy leading up to this vision. Huge promises. I'm just going to read two verses from the previous chapter that I think are at the heart of it, where God says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. These, the promises that were made to Israel were big and they would have seemed impossible. Ezekiel is writing to the people of Israel who have been scattered around, the people in exile. So the country has been conquered. There is no king ruling over Israel. The people have been taken out. They've been put into exile. There's no temple worship like there was before. That even if there was a king, there still hasn't settled the dispute of why are there two kingdoms and two kings. The kingdom was split after Solomon and never reunified. People who were in exile weren't even faithful. So this would have seemed like, okay, us being made new, being brought back to our land, having new hearts and obeying you, that seems impossible. And that is the context that God pulls Ezekiel out and gives him this vision. And he explains the purpose of the vision in verse 11 when he says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. So the people were feeling like they were without hope. So God's going to give them a promise, and he's going to say it in a way that they can feel confident that he is going to come through. That it will take place, because when God promises, he will bring it to pass. So verse 12, he says, Therefore prophesy, this time not to the bones, this time to the people of Israel. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. So he changes the analogy a little bit. So the first picture we have is these dry bones on the surface of the valley. This second one still has to do with death, but these are, it's a graveyard scene. These are buried bodies or entombed bodies. And he's into this picture, this graveyard, he's talking to his people and goes on and says in verse 13, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land and then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. Do you hear the certainty that God wants to convey? The confidence he wants to give his people? When God says he will do something, he will certainly do it. So in closing, I want to read some verses farther in this chapter that we didn't read yet. So farther on in chapter 37, to show not only that God keeps his promises, always fulfills his promises, but that he fulfills his promises through his son, Jesus. 
all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So verses 21 and 28 say this. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king over them all. And they shall no longer be two nations and no longer divided into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols and their detestable things or with any of their transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, where your fathers lived, and their children and their children's children shall, shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. And we see in this last passage I read that there's no human being who can cause all these promises to come true. God was going to do it, and he was going to do it himself. There was going to be a king who was also a shepherd, but unlike all other kings who die, their reigns come to an end, someone else's reign starts. His reign is going to be forever. This is talking about Jesus. And it says he's going to make an everlasting covenant of peace between God and his people a covenant that wouldn't fail, it wouldn't wane, it wouldn't go in and out, it wouldn't have to be brought back if it ever got conquered. It's gonna be everlasting. Jesus has made peace between God and sinful man, we're told, by the blood of his cross. And everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, who trusts on him, they can know, as we're told somewhere else, that he has taken their sin upon his body on the tree. He has taken the debt we owed, and because of sin, he has removed it from us and nailed it to the cross where it remained. He has made a covenant, and he has provided for the covenant, he has kept the covenant, and he promises to set his sanctuary in their midst forever. So I, I, I heard a lot when I was younger the phrase, accepting Jesus into your heart, and I always thought that was a funny phrase, um, maybe because I was trying to visualize it, but it, it really conveys something important. That phrase conveys one truth really strongly, and is that when we are born again, when we, as we read earlier, become new creations, that God dwells with us and in us. His presence is in us. Uh, we are his sanctuary. And these promises we read are very real. There were promises to Israel, there are promises for his church, but I want to be clear as we end that they are promises for those who have been born again to new life. Um, and this is for everyone but kids, I'm going to speak directly to you for a moment. That if, um, something you should know is that if you were born into a family and your family are Christians, that doesn't make you a born again Christian. You're, fa you're, you're, you're probably watching today 
because your mom and dad or your family or someone loves Jesus and they want you to know Jesus and they want you to love Jesus too. But being related to people who love Jesus and know Jesus and are saved by Jesus doesn't save you. We are born into a family naturally and the Bible tells us we are born again by the Spirit. And I want you to know that if God is calling you to to be part of his family, not because your parents are, but because you want to be part of his family, that you feel the spirit tugging on you, you can ask him. We talk about God's promises, how he says, this is how I'm gonna work, these are the means, and then he does a miracle. He says to cry out to him. That usually means prayer. Talk to him and say, I want these promises to be true for me. I believe Jesus that you have died to save me and I'm asking you to save me. And then God works through that, meager words, but God performs a miracle. And if you do that, I just want you to take another step of obedience and just tell someone, your parents, other people in your family, that you've done that. And this is the final word I wanna read, verse 14, where it says, read it again, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. So God has spoken. Jesus has accomplished it all, and by his grace and through his spirit, we're gonna see all of his promises come true in Jesus. There is always hope with God. There's always a point to obeying God's commands, and there is always a fulfillment to God's promises. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you have been pleased in our attention to your word. We know that you work through means, so we ask that you will cause us to be changed by your word that we just read. Cause us by your spirit to be convicted and to respond in belief and action. Cause those who are dead to have their eyes opened by your spirit through your word. We ask that you will perform the miracle of giving new life. Help us to trust in you at all times, even when we're unsure of your purposes. We pray that you'll be glorified in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.